Hallelujah. Well, Father, we give you worship. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom power. Love our God is an awesome God. Our God. morning and just take a moment to tell him that he's awesome to acknowledge God from the moment you wake up and to say God oh I love you thank you that you're here with me you are awesome you are you are wonderful you are worthy you are kind it blesses the heart of God it never ceases to amaze me that we as humans have been created with the capacity to actually affect and bless God Wow. It's not just an obligation you have. You have the capacity to touch the heart of God with what you say. The Father's looking for worshippers who worship Him in spirit and truth, the Bible says. And that is, I believe people who spontaneously respond to the Holy Spirit reminding us or revealing something of the glory and the majesty of God and, and our hearts then go, oh God, you're wonderful, you're awesome, I praise you, I thank you. That sort of spontaneous, heartfelt worship is what he longs for. And you've got the capacity to give it to him all the time. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we're so, we're so blessed to be sons and daughters of God. I've been speaking recently about the love of God. And it's a subject that we could spend eternity on because God is love. And he is unsearchable and altogether glorious. But it's the glory of, kings to con- uh, the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. And he's made us kings and priests and given us the delightful privilege of discovering for eternity who God is. His great- the greatness of his goodness and his love and his majesty. And the Word of God reveals clearly to us God is love and helps us understand specifically what love looks like. There's a beautiful scripture in Isaiah chapter 49, if you want to turn there. Isaiah 49 verse 15. Israel's complaining, I think I've been forgotten and I think God doesn't care. Have you ever been in a moment where you felt like God... It's not hearing and God doesn't seem to care or he's distant. If you have, you're not alone. Many people have thought that over time, but God has a very clear answer when the enemy wants to come and try and tell you that God doesn't care. He says this, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. And it's a stunning thought. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And he put out his hands and had nails go through them. And he says, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. I will never forget you. I care so much about you. That the risen body of Christ, he still had 
in his body, even though he was resurrected and healed, he still has the wounds in his hands and his side. Because the scripture says, it's his reminder, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. I want you to know that every time you think about me, every time you look at me, I, I carry you in my body. I love you so much. And the word of God just is so full and rich with the revelation and the truth of who God is. We were reading the other night about how God numbers the very hairs on our head. That's astonishing. I mean, if you had somebody that was so in love with you that they noticed if you were missing a hair, you'd think they were a bit obsessed, right? Yes? But God, he knows every hair on your head. And it's not as though he's keeping a ledger up in heaven and going, okay, yeah, they lost a hair, that's paradise, da, da, da. He's not a computer who's just got a whole lot of information. God knows everything, yeah, therefore, da, 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 da. He actually feels everything that goes on about your life. God is love. Love is not a, a, a philosophy or an idea. Love is powerful. It's a person. His name is God. And he has emotions just as you and I do. And he cares. He cares about the finest details of your life. If you think, oh, well, do you even care about me? He goes, you don't have any idea how much I care about you. I know every single pain that you feel, I feel it with you. He understands and is, is acquainted with every suffering that we go through. He is there and he cares and he knows about it. He doesn't just know about it intellectually. He knows about it. He feels it in his heart because he loves you more than any person has ever loved another human being. In fact, the love of God is so outrageous that Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says that we need to pray to be strengthened with might by the Holy Spirit inside because we haven't got the capacity to be, to be able to comprehend this love. He says, but pray because I'll give you supernatural strength to begin to re receive and understand this love that passes human understanding. I'll give you the capacity to be filled up to overflowing with all the fullness of God. That's an astounding thought. As you begin to open up and believe in faith, this love that God has for you. If you ask for the Spirit of God to strengthen you and help you know this love, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth. As you ask Him, help me to know and experience this love. He delights to answer that question. It's His good pleasure. It's Yes, I would love to help you to do that. And he wants to do it to the place that you can't physically or emotionally handle it. So that you have to, you have, to have supernatural help just to be able to contain yourself. Because his love is so extravagant. It is so, for want of a better word, obsessive over you. He ha if you're an attention seeker, he has more attention for you than you could ever wish for. He has 24-7 minute, he, he, will, he will sing over you, love on you, he looks at you and loves you. And this amazing God, he wants us to know and understand this love because as we receive it, he says you'll be filled with all his fullness.
And out of that overflow, he then goes on to say, Now unto him who is able. <laughs> now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, hope, or imagine. To him be glory in the church. It's, it's lovers who have received and continually overflow with the love of God, who believe in faith that all the fullness of God can be in them. God, who cannot be contained by the very universe, says, I want you to be filled with all my fullness. That makes you more powerful and more, uh, more influential than anything ever created by any person. You know, an, an atom bomb hasn't got the, any power to be compared with what the fullness of God living in one person could look like. If you imagine that sort of love filling you up and overwhelming you and flowing out through you, what would the world around you look like? His perfect love casts out fear and brings you to a place where your faith is activated because faith works by love. This love, this God, is something he wants us to comprehend. He wants us to understand and he wants to give us supernatural help to do that. So, Father, I'm asking that you would help everyone listening to truly comprehend and know Christ, who is love, dwelling in their hearts through faith, that they may be rooted and established, rooted and grounded in this love, so that it becomes a place where they draw all of their joy, all of their hope, all of their affirmation from. Let their roots go down deep and let them be anchored in your incredible love. Give them power to comprehend the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth, and let them be filled up continuously to overflowing with all your love, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, 1 Corinthians 13 is where everyone goes when you want to talk about love. It's a famous love chapter. It's where it's a chapter that's most read at weddings. Because it is a definition of who God is. God is love. And he says, this is what love looks like. You can read it and it's love is patient and kind and all sorts of good things. And it's, it's a glorious uh, reality that, that as we look at this chapter on love, we don't have to look at it as a list of things that we have to do. But it is a definition of who love is. God is love. Therefore, God is patient. God is kind. Hallelujah. All of these things. This is who God is and this is who love is. They are not separate from one another. They are God. Hallelujah. And the glorious thing is, is that it's no longer you when you are born again. No longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. In fact, the Bible says... As he is, so are we in this world. He is love. And as we reckon ourselves dead and alive to Christ, we therefore can read this passage not as a list of do's and things that we should do, but as a definition of who God is on the inside of us. Therefore, it is our definition. Hallelujah. We can read it as it says here, um, in verse 4, love is large and incredibly patient. I'm reading it today from the Passion Translation. Love is large and incredibly patient. 
Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. Ah, oh, the patience of God. I remember as a teenager walking to uni, I, I wrote a song one day, had a walking pace to my song. A lot of my songs did because I'd write them as I walked. And Dante, walking pace. I was a music teacher. And what, I wrote this song, Oh God, you're so patient. Because I would get overwhelmed at the reality that God didn't get annoyed and ticked off with me. He didn't get frustrated with me. I, it, it astonished me that he was still around. When I continually seemed to be missing the mark and, and, and not doing everything, I was still so much living in condemnation at that stage. But it, I had this understanding that, God, you are love and you are patient. And you're still here listening to me, even though I don't deserve you. You're still listening to me. You're so patient. But as I've grown and I've begun to discover more of the love of God and realize, praise the Lord, therefore is there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Hallelujah. That when we, are, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't look at us and think, oh yeah, there you are. I love you because I have to, but oh boy, I am so aware of your failings. That's how I used to think he thought about me. Yes, Catherine, I love you. Yes, somebody has to. But actually, his patience is not, oh, I have to still put up with them. His patience is, oh, I believe in them. Oh, I love them all. You're beautiful to me. And he does it when it's not fair. He's so patient. He's so kind. And the good news is, if you've been in situations where you felt, oh, I don't know if I can deal with that person or that relationship anymore, or, or this person in my life, that relative really annoys me. Instead of thinking, oh, I need to try and be patient with them. You can access this truth and say, thank you, God. Today, I reckon myself dead and alive to Christ. It's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I don't walk by emotions. I walk by faith. And faith says that I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. Therefore, I am patient. I have a new identity. As he is, so am I. He is patient. Therefore, as part of the body of Christ, I am patient. And it's so much easier to manifest fruit out of your identity than it is to try and grab it and put it on. Only a, a, an apple tree can produce apples. And God wants you to wake up and know that you are as he is because then you will produce the fruit of his spirit. Hallelujah. You're very quiet today. Love is patient. Love is gentle. Other scriptures say love is gentle. Love is kind. It's so good to be kind. It doesn't take very much effort to show the kindness of God. I was walking in today and I was hearing people encourage each other and it just made my heart happy. You know, when we sing and we, we come into worship and we sing, God, we love you. God, you're faithful. God, you're patient. You're kind. You're worthy. We're doing that because it's an expression of love. It's an expression of worship, and he is worthy of all the praise. But in the same way, a kind word, the Bible says in Proverbs, 
will cheer someone up. A, a, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, it says. It's precious. God considers it precious when you take the time to encourage someone else. When you speak to them, you could say something and you don't, that's your freedom. But if you actually do encourage them, God takes it personally. He says, as much as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. I've been in different cultures and um, my husband is a Finnish consul, honorary consul for Finland. And in Finland, it's not really cultural just to say things for the sake of saying it, like just compliments, random compliments to strangers. And I was with the ambassador's wife one day and uh, just washing our hands and I, I looked in the mirror and said, oh, you look beautiful today. And, and she looked at me and she came up to me after and she said, that's really nice that you said that. People should say things like that more often. <laughs> and I thought, that's so true. We don't know. Simple compliments, simple encouragements to people could, could just lift their hearts, lift their spirits, and God takes it personally. It is who you are. It's not something you have to put on. It's who you are. As I was walking in here today and hearing people, Daniel, I was hearing you encouraging people as they were walking through the door. It's because it's who you are. You can't help yourself. You are kind. And if you felt like I haven't been behaving very kindly or I haven't been behaving very patiently, you don't have to buy into that definition. You simply repent, recognize, shouldn't have done that, that wasn't patient, that wasn't kind, but thank God it's not my identity. As he is, now so am I in this world, I am patient. I am kind, and if you remind yourself of what you look like before you head out in your day, you're more likely to access the power that you have to really manifest this sort of fruit. Hallelujah. Love is patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. When you're tempted to not be very gentle. Anyone ever felt tempted to not be gentle? You can encourage yourself that you are not defined by your feelings. But this is the reality of who you are. You are gentle. You are kind. You are gentleness personified. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Culture would say, if someone says something gets in your face, you, you, you get up and you get back at them. But the Bible says, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. He says, you are gentle because love is gentle and it's your new definition. Hallelujah. And you'll be amazed as you do things God's way. God's ways are wonderful. He is wiser than we are. And his ways are higher than the ways of the world. That's why he says, turn the other cheek. He's like, are you serious? I can hear some people thinking, are you serious? Turn the other cheek. You know, really, I've got my rights, not enough. But when you know that you are loved, and you know you already have everything, and that you are so secure, rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, you can remind yourself, thank you, God, I am patient. I am gentle. And you can easily obey the word of God to turn the other cheek because you're not trying to put it on. It's a manifestation of the reality of who you are. Hallelujah. It goes on and it says this. It refuses, this is love, love refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Other translations say love doesn't envy. And sometimes... And our Australian culture is 
can be problematic in this area. We've got a thing called the tall poppy syndrome. But people get a bit annoyed about people that get very successful sometimes. And rather than encouraging them and celebrating them, they look at them and they start throwing stones. They start um, having a go at them. Because it's stemming from envy. It's stemming from jealousy. And it's stemming from an orphan mentality that says, if they've got something, if they've got a bigger slice of the pie, that means there's less for me. But God hasn't called us to the orphans. He says, you're no longer orphans. You've been adopted. You are special. You are loved. And you don't have to think like orphans. In fact, you are seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. You are so privileged that I give you the whole kingdom. Ask and you'll receive. You are already seated up here. So if someone else has something awesome happen, instead of feeling envious or jealous, you can celebrate. You can cheer them on and say, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. And not have as your second thought, wish that would happen for me. <laughs> because you will be filled up with a love that, that wants to so satisfy and encourage you. You know, true love that... that it comes to fill us and deliver us from ourselves. <coughs> when we start receiving and, and deliberately entering into the revelation of love, we come into a place where we, we are transformed by love. When you've got an orphan mentality, the thought is, what about me? It isn't fair. I don't have enough. No, one portion. Come on. Oh, what about me? But God's not looking for you to, to be singing the sad song, What about me? It isn't fair. He wants you to know, hey, what about you? It's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. You now have the King of glory as your Father. Why are you even thinking like orphans? Why are you thinking like that? God wants you to lift up your head and recognize, It doesn't matter what happens because look what I have. I have love himself. This one who is altogether glorious, he has loved me with an everlasting love. It's not just a theory. You know, I knew about God being love for many, 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 many years. But I didn't actually have a personal experience of the truth of how God actually felt about me. I knew that he technically loved me, but I really didn't have a rich revelation of how he really, really felt about me. And as a result, I was very insecure. I'd always be looking for someone to affirm me. Because if they didn't, then I'd feel like, oh, really, I'm, I'm not doing very well, I'm terrible. And I'd default back to my old way of thinking. But when perfect love comes... He wants to cast out all fear. He wants to cast out all shame, all rejection. Hallelujah. And he wants to fill you to the place where you become absolutely rooted and established in love. So that praise and blame affect you the same, like my mother used to say. But another thing that happens with this whole envy thing is, is often starts with comparison. The Bible says in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. 
But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. But culturally, we do it all the time. We're comparing with each comparing each other with each other. And, and society is out there to make you feel as though you are not measuring up because they want to sell you something. If you look at, at um, the movies, if you look at women's magazines, they're always out there trying to say, you, are, you need to do better. I, I was at a family party yesterday and... Um, uh, some of, I said to some of my sisters, some of my half-sisters that were there, I said, let's take a photo of the sisters. And the moment I did, uh, this is what happened. Have we got the photo there? Uh, do the other one, the other photo. This one. Look, they just immediately all were, were jostling for the position where they could see the least of their bodies so we could just look at our... <laughs> and it was a joke. But it's so typical of women. We just... pictures in the magazines. And, you know, while these women are beautiful, confident women, there's a few of my, my sisters there, um, many, many people really struggle with how they feel about themselves. And they are, their lives are being inadvertently shaped by what society is telling them is acceptable or beautiful. And sadly, you see, you see pictures of people that are um, just, they're using models that are anorexic and, and girls are trying to measure up and they're being digitally enhanced and, and they could never, even the models themselves could never look like that in, in reality. And it's, it's a, you know, contrary to what God thinks about us. We sang tonight, your thoughts define me. And God so wants every one of us to be defined by the thoughts of God, not by the thoughts of everybody else. Amen? We see images on Instagram and Facebook, and you could go through your Facebook feed. A lot of people are just completely addicted to Facebook, I'm convinced. And they go through the Facebook feed, and it's a comparison of them and all of their friends. And, and you can either look at it as a whole, happy person rooted and grounded in the love of God, or if you're not careful, you could look at it as, oh, well, I'm not doing as well as them, or, oh, they've got this, or they've got that, or they're doing this, or they look like that. And it's a trap designed to bring us into a place that will lead to envy and disappointment and disillusionment. When we compare ourselves with each other, we're not wise. But it's so interesting so much of it is based on this deep need that we have for other people's approval and other people's love. It's a, it's a natural need that God puts on the inside of us. But God himself wants to meet that need. He wants to meet it to the place that praise and blame really do affect you the same. I remember when I was a um, young mum, we would read this storybook to our children, You Are Special, Max Licardo storybook. And we, we still give it to all the, the babies that we dedicate here. And it's a story about these, it's an imaginary story about these little wooden people who go about and spend their whole days putting stickers on each other. And they either get stars or spots. 
If they do something good, they get a star. If they do something bad or they look bad, they get a, a spot. And this poor little Wemmick, he, um, Wemmick, he, he just had so many spots that there was almost no room for any more spots. And even when he tried to get a star, people would look at how many spots he got, he had, and they'd just give him more spots. And he was like, oh, I'm trying so hard. And was miserable and discouraged. And it's an amazing allegory of what society's like today. But then he met this girl that had no spots and no stars. And he said, how come you don't have any spots or stars? You're the only one I've ever met who doesn't have spots or stars. And she said, oh, they just don't stick. He said, how come? He says, she said, well, it's because I go and visit my maker every day. She said, you should go and visit him. He's been talking about you. He's waiting for you. And so one day, this little, little guy goes up the hill and he finds the maker. The maker says, oh, I've been waiting for you. Come in. And he felt so ashamed to walk in because he had so many spots. He just didn't want to even be seen. And the maker says, how come you've got so many spots? He says, oh, because I'm ugly, I'm this, I don't have any talent. And, and the maker says, who told you that? He says, that's not the truth. He said, when I made you, I made you specifically like this because you are so precious in my sight. And he said, you just come and see me every day. And pretty soon, because he'd been asking him, I want to be like the girl that doesn't have any spots or stars. So you come see me every day and pretty soon you'll find that they don't stick on you either. And you know, that's what spending time with the, with the Father is like. If you'll deliberately take time to be with Him every day, praise and blame will affect you the same. It won't be your barometer. It won't be the thing that makes you feel good or bad. You know, it's a nice thing when someone encourages you. I'm not suggesting we stop encouraging each other. It's a powerful, wonderful thing. But you're not going to be living on that anymore. It's not going to be your life source because you will have been rooted and grounded in the one that is actually the only pure, unfailing, infallible source. The only one that doesn't get in a mood. The only one that's, not, uh, that's available 24-7 all the time. This one for eternity wants to fill you with love that will make you so secure that every trace of insecurity and rejection will just disappear. Hallelujah. We need to be deliberately reminding ourselves, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm beautiful in his sight. He's engraved me on the palms of his hands. He'll never forget me. He cares about me. He looks at me and he loves me just like he did the rich young ruler. Every time he's looking at you, he says, your face to me is lovely and your voice is sweet. This is the scripture. This is how God feels about you. If you're wondering, you should start to pray and say, Lord, Give me supernatural strength to be able to comprehend this love. Pray Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. Memorize it and personalize it. And then start to ask God, how do you feel about me, Father? You might be surprised. Because his heart, his delight is to look at you and love you. And he knows how to love you better than anyone else can. Hallelujah. I remember... Um, when I was about 12 years old, it was soon after I'd given my life to the Lord, 
And my mum had left home. My mum and dad had been divorced when I was about four, so my dad lived a long way away. And I came home from visiting him with my brother, and, and she'd left, and we were left with other people. And I, um, I had to go and get some new... And I remember going into a, a dressing room, and up to that point, I, you know, I'd never really been into a, you know, one of the dressing rooms where they've got mirrors on both sides. And I remember it so clearly. That day, as I went in there, for the first time, I saw my profile. And I was so shocked. Because suddenly I thought, I didn't know it, but I'm actually ugly. I looked at, I thought, I don't have this little cute little nose like everybody else. I've, I, look, I, I remember the time, I thought, not only do, my, do I not have you know, a mum around to do this, but I'm ugly. And it struck me. <sighs> Up to that point, I thought, you know, I had a great imagination. I thought, maybe I'm, maybe I'm beautiful. And then I realised, I actually am ugly. When my friends and my brothers, make, my brother makes fun of me with the big nose, it really is. <sighs> and from that point on, I just remember getting more and more insecure and more and more concerned about myself, you know, I, and at the same time, God, God is so good, but the devil is so awful. And, you know, is in that same year, it was straight after I'd been born again, straight after I'd been converted, you know, that, that this happened, that mum left, and then I had this, and then I started being sexually abused, night after night, after night, after night, for about nine months. And my self-esteem went from this fragile little thing to nothing. I not only thought I was ugly, I, I thought I was bad. And, uh, you know, I must be causing this somehow. And, and it was awful. And yet I still loved God and I still believed in God. And I'd still talk to God at night time. But I still, I had this terrible self-esteem. Well, praise the Lord. He, he carried me through. Until one day when I was 23, I, I just began to really cry out and say, Lord, I, I need your help. And I, there's a story, I, I don't have time to tell it today, about how I was magnificently delivered as I just began to talk to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, help me. Because I was so concerned, I was, had been married about three years at that stage, I was so concerned that the one person who'd signed a piece of paper to say he'd love me till he died, actually might die. And it was a besetting fear in my head. I'm like, oh gosh, what happens if he does die? Who's going to love me then? You know? And I was, I was a scary wife. You know, he'd go away on um, business trips and I'd be calling him up at two in the morning. Oh, could you leave me? That was really sad. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Tom is patient. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> but I was gloriously delivered. And then the following week, they had at church an altar call for shame. And I thought, I'm going to go out for that. And as I was out there, a few people prayed for me. And then they, then I just heard the Lord speak to me. He says, don't leave. And so I just stood on the altar a little bit longer. And as I did, the Holy Spirit just started to show me a vision. And I saw myself as this little girl with the big nose and ugly. And all of a sudden, I saw my face peel off like it was a mask and just float away. Oh, the first thing I saw was I was actually at the 
the lap of the father, and I had my head on his, leg, on his knee, and he was patting my head like this, stroking my hair. Because I'm a physical touch type person. I really like it. Bit of, bit of physical touch. God's affectionate. Did you know that? He's affectionate. And then I saw this woman walking in the heavenlies, and she was so dignified and so beautiful. She had these beautiful robes on. And as I'm looking at this incredibly confident, dignified woman, the Lord whispers and he says, that's you. I fell on the floor. Because I was so overwhelmed. And you know, ever since that time, when I first started crying out, God, teach me about your love, help me. He has taken me on the journey to tell me and help me understand. <laughs> Thank you, Dylan. <laughs> He's demonstrating my profile. <laughs> To help me understand that I am loved. That my value is not based on how I compare myself with other people. But my value is based on the fact that when he looks at me, he is utterly besotted. He looks at me and says, you are so beautiful. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are altogether lovely. And he so wants to wrap you in that love that you shake off every trace of insecurity and fear and shame. You shake off every spot that people or society have tried to put on you and you come out radiant. Because the Bible says those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. It's real. It's so powerful. This love that's available to you and I every single day is an invitation that God simply waits for us to respond to. It's available. But for many years I didn't access it because I didn't even know that it was available. But if you'll start to say, yes, Lord, help me to comprehend your love that passes knowledge. He will begin this glorious work of transformation that will cause you to come out shining and walk around. You'll be able to give an encouragement to someone else without a second thought about yourself because you are overflowing with affirmation, affection, and love from the one who knows how to love you better than any person ever could. Hallelujah. It'll empower you to be able to be... Um, you know, in a marriage relationship without strangling your spouse and trying to make them make you feel about okay about yourself. It'll empower you to be able to interact with other people without being self-focused and egocentric. The love of God will so fill you that you will become as he is in the earth. People will so enjoy being around you because you'll be exuding the very love that they're craving. And they'll say, I want to know more. And the Bible says, how help you be ready to give an answer to every person who asks. This is supernatural love, not based on circumstances, not based on, uh, it's not a happiness that comes from, from your circumstances all being okay. It's a love that, that Stephen had when he was being stoned to death. A love that cannot be shifted or shaken because it is overwhelming and so much more real and glorious than anything the world can throw at you. 
This is love. And God gave himself so that you could have it, experience it, live in it, and reveal it to everybody else around you. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we say thank you for your love. And God, we're asking for more. Lord, that you would so overwhelm people, Papa. Lord, that you would come and you would satisfy and richly encourage your people today. 